A gentleman by the name of, of uh, Walton, George Walton, not Walton's Mountain, by the way, that's an old TV show, but uh, uh, he was born around the turn of the century, which means it's about a little o- over uh, 100 uh, years ago. And uh, George uh, worked as a, an estate appraiser, and as such, uh, he had opportunities to, uh, to, to, to have first uh, biddings on some rare coins and books and, and uh, guns and, and, and kind of things like that. If, if you've ever watched uh, uh, the, the show on TV about, you know, porn brokers, I'd rather call them porn brokers, but anyway, uh, uh, they call in experts to, to, to evaluate uh, the value of books and coins and, and stuff. So, so that, that's what this man did. And he, had, he jumped at the opportunity to purchase a one of only five that were ever minted, uh, 1913 uh, Liberty Head Nichols. Uh, They they were so rare that he just jumped at the opportunity. And back in 1945, 1945 is a long time ago, right? 1945, he purchased purchased the Liberty Head Nickel for an amazing amount of almost $4,000. Now, $4,000 back in 1945 was really a lot of money because... Let me tell you, you could you could buy a house maybe for like around five thousand dollars back back in the day. That's really the way it was. So he 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 bought that and he told his family. He said, "This is worth a fortune," and they put it away. And unfortunately, a number of years later, George was accidentally uh, or or killed in an accident as he was driving to uh, a coin show. Uh, the uh, family, when they had his affairs put in order, uh, had the had the coin appraised, and and the experts that looked at the coin said, "No, it's not real. It's 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 a it's a forgery. It's it's a counterfeit. It's it's a fake." And so they returned the coin to the disappointed family, and they put that coin in a in a strong box, and they put it in the closet in the bottom of a of a closet, and there there it sat for for decades, year after year after year, until eventually George's nephew uh, inherited that coin. And uh, George's nephew felt that, you know what, I, I think my uncle was, was right. And he noticed that there was an, an advertisement. The four other coins were be, being put on display, and there was a reward being offered if anyone could produce the fifth coin. And uh, he, he, he decided that he was going to submit the coin. And so after hours of comparison and contrasting, these six experts viewed the coin and they, and they came up with this evaluation that it was the real deal. That coin sold for, listen, an amazing $6.1 million. A nickel. A nickel coin sold for $6.1 million. Now, could, could, could you imagine something worth more than $6 million sitting, sitting in a closet, in the, in the back of a closet, in a, in a strong box, after decade, after decade, after decade? May, may, may I suggest and draw a parallel that, that, that the experts looked at Jesus Christ. He came to his own and his own received him not. We esteemed him to be stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. There was no beauty that we should desire him. The so-called experts looked at Jesus and they rejected Jesus. But I want to suggest to you this morning that Jesus 
is of far greater worth than humanly imaginable. That Jesus is a treasure for those of us who have eyes to see. That in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That as the book of Revelation says, to him belongs wisdom and might and riches and wealth and power and dominion forever and forever because he has redeemed us unto God by his blood and made us kings and priests. The treasure that we have in Christ is beyond calculation. Uh, one of the, the psalmists says that he is fairest, the fairest of 10,000, which is a Hebrewism for it's beyond calculation, that Jesus is far and above, that he is greater than, than, than any that would be in comparison. When, when we talk about King Saul, King, King Saul, one of the things that distinguished him was that he was head and shoulders above every other Israelite. Well, Jesus is way more than head and shoulders above. He is far above. In fact, I love, I love the way Paul wrote uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 where he says that Jesus is far above. Now, the only way to, <laughs> and, and, and the only way to read that, the only way to understand that is to, is to extend that word far until you're out of breath. He is far, you know, until you, you have no more breath. That's what Paul meant to say when we make a comparison to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, now of course, of course, as God, he would be, he, he, he would be, there's none to compare to him. There's no, there's no other God. He alone is God, Father, Son, and Spirit, right? And, and, and we, we would never argue, but we're not talking about simply one who is God. We're talking about the man Christ Jesus, the one who is, who is, who is very God, but he's also very man, who has two natures, the, the divine nature and the human nature. They're not mingled. They're not a conglomeration, a... a What's the other word? Uh, an alloy, two, two separate natures, but one person. The mystery of the incarnation, the mystery of godliness, God revealed in flesh, in a, in a, in a human person called Jesus of Nazareth. I want to talk to you this morning about the supremacy, the, the greatness of Jesus. I just, I'm thinking of an illustration. I read this about Tim Keller. Tim Keller said, now 44 years ago, back in 1970, a Sunday school teacher changed his life by the following illustration. She said, imagine, she said, imagine that the distance between the, the sun and our earth is 92 million miles. It would take a rather considerable long time to get there. You'd have to travel at night because it's really hot. No, just kidding. All right. She said, she said imagine, imagine squeezing that 92 million miles into the, into the thickness of a simple sheet of paper. So, so use your imagination with me. I know you can do this, right? This represents, the thickness of this piece of paper represents 92 million miles. Now, this is what she said. She said that the nearest sun to the earth, other than the one that we call sun, the star, the nearest star to the earth 
do you know how many sheets of paper would have to represent the distance between the earth and the sun? Let, let, let me illustrate. I've got a ream of paper. Ream of paper contains how many, how many pages? 500. 500 times 92 million miles. That's not enough. 1,000. 1,000 times 92 million miles. Not enough. I mean, let me just get to the point. Here we go. Here we got six reams of paper, which is approximately one foot. 3,000 times 92 million miles. I can't even calculate that number. I should have asked my wife. She used to be a math teacher. Maybe you can tell me later, honey, just to give me that information. But, but, but that's, a lot, that's a lot of distance. That, that's a lot of space between us and the next nearest star in the Milky Way galaxy. But you would have to do this. You would have to, you would have to create a stack of papers 70 feet high to calculate the distance between Earth and the next nearest star. Now that's about the size of just about from the back wall here to about maybe where that keyboard is. High times 90 million miles. Big distance, right? Now think about this. Then she said this. She said the diameter of the Milky Way the diameter of our galaxy that we call the Milky Way, and by the way, there are billions of stars in the Milky Way, would require a stack of papers 310 miles high. 310 miles high times 92 million miles. Now, 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 now here's what's so amazing about this is that this, our galaxy is just a speck in the known universe. And the one whom we worship, the one that we sang about this morning, the one that we call Savior and Lord, did you know that the Bible says that he holds all things together by the word of his power? He holds it all together. Not only did he make it, not only did he create it out of nothing, but he holds it all together. So, so, so she asked the question in this Sunday school class, now what do you suppose is your relationship to the one who holds it all together? Do you, do you simply invite him into your, into your life to be your assistant? Or do you fall before the feet of such a person with love and adoration and worship for who he is? And for what he has done. And Tim Keller says that illustration changed his life. It, 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 ought, it ought to blow us away. I want to talk to you this morning about the supremacy of Christ. That he is greater. That, that he is far above. In fact, when I, when, I, when I did this, the last series that I did was on the sufficiency of grace. I said at the beginning of that series, it is impossible for me as a preacher, to, to adequately talk about grace, amazing, grace, wonderful, because all of, the, all of the adjectives, all of the words that are necessary to describe it fall far short. Now, how much more am I dealing with the same problem now when we're talking about 
the Savior who provides the grace. For, 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 for Jesus, it's got to be way more sufficient, way greater than the grace that he provides because the, the grace that he provides is dependent upon the greatness of the Savior. Just as, just, just as I mean, to me it's logical, to me it's understandable that that if I, if I built a house, if I designed a house and I made a house and I, and I used my energy and I used my strength and I used my talent to, to make a house for me to live in, that, then wouldn't I be greater than the house that I built? And is not Jesus therefore greater than the creation itself, the house that he has built? So I want to talk to you this morning about the wonder, the majesty, words fall short of, the, the best word that I can come up with is the supremacy of Christ. Now when we, when we, talk, about, when we, when we talk about the greatness of Jesus, th- th- there, is, there is none greater than the man Christ Jesus. Now of course there's none greater than God, but I want you to know that there is, that there is a wonderful thing that has happened so that we can now say that there is none greater than Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, the only mediator and intercessor between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Paul says, we, 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 we glory in the man Christ Jesus. We, we're the circumcision that worship God in the spirit. We have no confidence in ourselves, but our confidence is in Christ. My confidence is in the one who holds the universe together with the word of his power. So I'm full of confidence this morning because of who he is, not because of who I am, but because of whose I am. I belong to him. And I've been bought by him and I've been purchased by him by something that is absolutely amazing. So again, I want to talk to you about the supremacy of Christ. Are you getting excited? I hope you are, because I am. I'm excited to talk about Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The one in whom he's the rose of Sharon and the lily of the, of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's everything to us. Whatever your need is this morning, you may, you may have come with, with one of the, the greatest burdens of your life at this time in your life. I want you to know that he is the burden lifter. You, you may be here this morning and you may need physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. He is the great physician. In fact, whatever your need is, my God can supply all of your need by his riches and glory in Christ. If the one who made the universe, if the one who, who stretched out the spance of the universe with the measure of his arm, and that is beyond calculation how big this universe is, then there is nothing that he cannot do. I want us to look at a verse of scripture that talks about this Jesus who, who, who not only created all things, but who upholds all things by the power of his word. And, and that would be Hebrews chapter one. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews is about the greatness of Jesus. It's about the, the supremacy of Jesus. It talks about how Jesus is greater. He's greater than the angels. He's, he's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He's greater than the, the high priest. We have a greater covenant based upon better promises. In fact, the, the operative word in the book of Hebrews is better and greater. 
And Jesus is better and he is greater. And, you know, I, I think about, I remember back in, in, in grammar school, remember, remember when they taught us English grammar and the progression of the word good, you know? While you were a kid, you may have said, man, this is the goodest thing that ever happened. You know, your teacher said, no, 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 Johnny, that is not a word. It is good, better, and best. But when we come to Jesus, good, better, and best just doesn't cut it. He is in a class all by himself. He is absolutely unique. There is none like Jesus. So the writer of Hebrews starts off by telling us that none of the angels could ever rise to the level of the only begotten Son of God. The angels are commanded, in fact, to worship him. Angels, you, you, you don't worship angels. Angels worship God. And the angels are commanded to worship the Son. The kingdom doesn't belong to angels. The kingdom belongs to the Son. In every way, Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. And again, I say that these words fell for uh, an articulation of just how great and just how Jesus really is. So I'm going to look at the first several verses of the book of Hebrews. But before I do, you know, in, in, in our culture right now, I mean, you tell me if I'm wrong, right? But, but in our culture right now, and, and one of the ways that our culture is expressed uh, is in movies, I mean, every, every weekend, right, there, there's a report on Monday morning about what the highest grossing films were for that weekend and, and where they stand, right? I mean, there has been a glut of movies over the last 10, 20 years about superheroes. Isn't that true? I mean, you know, you got your Batman, your Spider-Man, your Captain, you know, Captain America, you know, j- j- just to mention a few. In fact, if you do a Google search, you- you'll come up with over a hundred different comic book heroes, some of which have made it to the big screen, right? And, and it's, like, it's like there's this psychological need for a hero. In fact, th- 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 there was a very popular song a number of years ago. Which we said, I need a hero. I'm dreaming for a hero. Somebody who's going to come riding on a white steed. I think that is right now setting up the, the, the world right now for the psychological dependency of somebody to come and rescue planet Earth, rescue mankind from the, the mess and the dilemma that we find ourselves in because the problems, the problems in the world are way beyond, right, uh, any one nation or any one, you know, any one person being able to, we need, we need something that's supernatural, right? I, I remember, listen, I, re, I remember back in the 70s, before, before there was this glut, right, of, of superheroes, one, one of the last movies uh, I remember seeing in, in the Smithtown movie theater. That was before they kind of transitioned it into like having plays and, you know, like actors and stuff like that. But while they still showed movies, one of the last movies I remember seeing, uh, and, and just to mention, j- j- just before that, just before coming to the big screen, I mean, in the 50s and 60s, we had, we had the character, and he was really the only one, and then, and then Batman came along, but, but Superman. How many of you remember the TV series Superman, right? I mean, so many of you, right? Great, right? Bullets bounce off his chest, 
right? But when the bad guy runs out of bullets, he gets the gun and he throws it at Superman. And what does Superman do? He ducks, right? I mean, I, I never understood that. Bullets bounce off your chest, but you're afraid of getting hit but with a metal gun? Come on. And it just doesn't make sense, right? So, so all we had for all those years was, was the TV Superman. But then, but then Superman the movie made the big screen. 1978, I remember, I remember sitting there with my family watching the movie. And then at the end of the movie, people were standing up and they were clapping. They were applauding. They were a standing ovation to a screen. I wanted to yell. I wanted to scream. I, I, I mean, I was just grieved in my heart because I wanted, to, I wanted to communicate to that group of people that were there that day that the one whom, who you long for, the one that you need the most has already come. And he has accomplished way more than flying around with a cape and, and leotards. Let me tell you, this one whom we have have, have set to worship as the Son of God who holds the universe in the, in, in, in the spans of his, of his hand. He has conquered sin and death and Satan, and he has ushered in life and immortality to light. And he is the hero that we need. This is, this is, why, this is why Jesus has the supremacy and the preeminence in everything. There is none greater than Jesus. So the writer of Hebrews says this, I'm going to read to you from the English Standard Version. And, and by the way, in, in my English Standard Version, there's a subtitle right after it says Hebrews chapter 1. This, there's a subtitle, and the subtitle says this, The Supremacy of God's Son. I like that. And if you have a Bible that says The Supremacy of God's Son, you probably got a good one, all right? So listen, we're talking about the supremacy of Jesus this morning. And so it says, long ago, in the history of, of God's intervention with men, at many times and in many ways, beginning with Abraham and through the prophets, Isaac and Jacob and, 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 and so many others, in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Zechariah. All of the prophets had a little piece of the puzzle and they brought little pieces of a mosaic into view in, in their speaking on behalf of God. But we have something far greater than a prophet. And so it says in verse two, but in these last days, he, God, has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So it is Jesus who has created the world. It is Jesus whom the Father has appointed to be the possessor, the heir, the, the owner, the Lord of all that is created. And he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds, there's that verse, upholds the universe, not just the Milky Way, but the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, this is what he did. He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high having become of so much superior to angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. 
the name that he has received. Paul tells us that at the mention of that name, something's going to happen in time. Something's going to happen. There's a day. You won't remember my telling you. you probably, you'll probably be just too excited about it. But on, there is a day coming in history. God has marked the day when celebrities, great and small, when, when, when kings and priests, when, when, when kings and queens and, and, and leaders of nations, young and old, will bow down and the, they will bow their knees and they will confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. What a glorious day that will be. The enemies of Christ will be compelled to confess his lordship. For he has received the name that is more excellent than the angels. Now, 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 now this is where he begins, to, he begins the process of, of telling us why Jesus is greater than angels, why Jesus is greater than Moses, why he's greater than Joshua. Throughout the book, that the whole point is to show the superiority, the preeminence of Jesus in all things. If you if you're a parent and a grandparent and you have little kids, you have you have little children. I mean, you, you know how difficult it is when they ask you, you know, like a really difficult question, and and you you kind of stump for a moment because. You have to kind of try to figure out what's the best language that I could use. This couple of days ago, we were watching the Jansen kids, and, and Landon asked a really great question. And I had to stop and think, how can, I, how can I articulate, how can I verbalize an answer that would be satisfactory and honest to him while being able to explain it to the mind of a child? Now, now you, you, you take that problem that we have between humans and you multiply that by infinity when it comes to the infinite mind of God and the finite mind of man. How does God communicate? How does God reveal his heart? And why is this so important? The the reason why it's so important is because, because eternity hangs on the balance of what we do with this person, Jesus Christ. That, that, That is why this is so, so very important. And God, to communicate, I mean, the the verses that we read said that in these last days, God has communicated to us through his son. He is literally the language of the son of, of, of of God's speech. He is literally the communication, the way in which God wants to make his heart himself known to us is through his son. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the father. Now, now I'll tell you what, when we talk about creation as, as amazing as 70 feet, you know, stack of papers could be as the, the next nearest star to our, our earth, right? And that just blows our mind. We can know some things about the creation. We, 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 we can, and the creator by, by, by simply realizing he's powerful. To, to have done this from nothing, he, he's powerful. He's wise. In fact, we could even look at creation and look at each other and, and, and judge the benevolence of God. But to know the heart of God, to know, to know the will of God, to know God's desire for my life personally, that takes something of an intimate and a personal communication that, that only God can accomplish through the incarnation, through God becoming one of us and one as us. 
From the opening verses, we learn this, that Jesus is the possessor of every single thing, that he is the owner of it all. He is the Lord of all. And as such, as such, it's his right to me, and it's his right to you. He owns us simply because he created all things, right? It says this in Colossians 1.16, all things were created through him and for him. So they were not only created by him, they were created for him. One verse in Revelation says, for his pleasure they have their being. Romans 11.36 also says something similar. It says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. So again, possession belongs to him. Jesus owns it all. But Paul is not the only one who talks about Jesus as the creator and the owner of all things in the prologue of John. John tells us that, in fact, I love the way John says it, that there is nothing that exists that was not made by him. And he is before all things. He made it all. Okay? As such. What, is that, what does that mean to me? I mean, what makes that so relevant? What makes that so stunning to me as a sinner saved by grace through faith in Christ? Is that he, in turn, his grace not only saves the sinner, but his grace also makes the sinner an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. That means if he owns it all and he says to you who as a believer become a joint heir with Christ, meaning that you likewise, I mean, this is your destiny to be a possessor of the universe. It sounds sounds too, too wonderful, but that's the gospel that he has purposed our destiny. Now, listen, I'm telling you, if you don't get excited about this, we're going to have a nurse come around later and check your pulse just to make sure that your heart's still beating because this ought to put a smile on your face. It ought to put, it ought to put confidence in your spirit to know that God has ordained and destined this for your future. And uh, John and Heather, I don't know what you have to look forward to in, was it North Carolina? You know, but I know what, that in eternity we have an incredible destiny that is beyond imagination. See, the eternal God was under no obligation to, to create. He, uh, he's a creator, right? So, so obviously a created creates, right? But, but creator is only one of the titles or one of the aspects of the nature of God. He was under no obligation to create. In other words, he didn't create the universe. He didn't make you and me. He didn't make us because there was some need that he had that was like a void in his, in his heart that he had to fill. If that were the case, then he would be imperfect. But because he was perfect and always will be perfect, he didn't create out of the necessity to fill some void in his life. My, my, my father used to... Uh, that when there were times when I, wouldn't, I didn't do what he wanted me to do or I didn't do what, I, what he wanted me to do fast enough. And so, and so he would make his point and he would say to me, he would say to me, son, I made a fork so that I wouldn't have to eat with my fingers. And I used to say to him, and yeah, 
So? He says, and so I made you, gave you life so that, so that you would do what I asked you to do. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that, Dad. Just think of me as a fork, you know. But, but, but see, God didn't make us. God didn't create us because of the need that he had. So that means he created us out of sheer pleasure and delight that you are the object of his affection, that you, believe it or not, in the state of being transformed, ultimately will be, and even now, God looks at man and says, they are daily my delight. When Jesus made everything, he didn't make everything, he didn't assemble everything, he didn't put everything together. You know, when when, when a car comes off of the line at, you know, Ford or, or GM, you know, I, I, I would imagine that, you know, the last guy, you know, w- would look at that and kind of be proud and say, look what I made, you know. But, but really, he didn't make it and he didn't create it. He may have had something to do with putting all the parts together. But when it comes to Jesus, he didn't just, he didn't just put all the parts together. He called all things into existence. So that's why we're talking about the supremacy of Christ. You see, some people are of the opinion that that God created the universe like a great big clock, and he wound it up like a spring clock, and he and he and he let it go, you know, eons of years ago, you know, and 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 the, and the universe is just kind of winding down now, and and he really doesn't get involved in the affairs of men. He doesn't answer prayer. He doesn't do miracles. He's not really concerned. He doesn't micromanage uh, you, the human human lives and human affairs. But that's not the Bible. That that's not the God of the Bible. No, the God of the Bible tells tells me the 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 God of the Bible who came in the person of Jesus Christ came to tell me that my father knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. My father knows the number of hairs on my head, the number of hairs on my arm, the number of hairs on my leg, the number of hairs, unfortunately, that are now growing out of my ears as I get older. Yeah, you, you laugh now, but you'll, you'll have ear, hair growing out of your ears too someday. <laughs> But he knows it all. There's nothing that he doesn't know. He micromanages the affairs of our life. There's not a detail in this universe that is outside of his knowledge. That's how great and that's how glorious he is. But, but I want to look again at verse 3 because verse 3 is the mission statement by the apostle who's writing this that is obsessed with showing us the greatness of Jesus. See, Jesus may tell us himself, G- Jesus may say, my mission statement is to, is to seek and save the lost. Jesus may say, my mission statement was, was, was not to be served, but to, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. My mission statement is to, is to, is to save sinners. But here the mission statement that is so succinct and it is so, it is the answer to the hero that we need says this, verse three, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high in cosmic authority. Jesus is seated, resting 
at the place of power. And I want you to notice, it wasn't Moses, it wasn't Joshua, it wasn't an angel who accomplished what Jesus did, the purification for sins. And I want you to notice the tense of that verse. It says, after making. It doesn't say that he will one day make. He will one day accomplish this. It's not as if you and I screw up and you and I sin and therefore Jesus has to rush into the presence of God for us and present his blood as a sacrifice for us. No, 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 no. Not so that we will ever have to doubt or ever have to wonder, is this, is, is this, it is past tense. It is, a, it is a final, finished, accomplished act. It is a once for all perfect achievement. He has purified forever. And we're gonna look at that verse in a minute. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. I love this verse. If you don't get anything else I'm saying this morning, please walk away with an understanding that it says this, for by the one offering, the cross, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. By the one sacrifice of himself, he has forever made you perfect. If you are in Christ, if Jesus is your savior, you have been made perfect. You will not have to be made perfect. You Before the throne of God, you are now without fault and without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. Perfect. And why is this so important? Because let me tell you this, and this is so important. This is, please, please understand this, that the greatest power you will ever have over temptation and sin is the sin that is forgiven. When you realize that you've been forgiven, that your past, present, and future sins have been blotted out, the dominion of sin is no longer the mandatory principle in you. you he has broken the power of indwelling sin so that we can now resist temptation. I want you to know Jesus didn't come to bail us out of trouble, didn't come to teach us how to, how to feel good about ourselves. He didn't come to, to build up our esteem. He came to rescue us from this issue of sin. The thing that separated us from God, the thing that we need the most, the wall that, that was placed between us and God has now been removed because Jesus has made purification. The thing that we needed more than anything else, that by his blood, we should be cleansed. Unto him that loved us and washed us in his blood and made us kings and priests unto our God. Sin ruined us. Sin defiled our souls. Sin made us depraved before God. And the depravity of man is, is, is something people don't like to talk about, but that is a reality. But Jesus has done something about it. He didn't leave us in the mess that we were in. He came himself to do something about that. All of your sin, past, present, and future, has been purged and purified by the once-for-all sacrifice of the cross. This is the gospel, and, 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 and as simple as it is, it is breathtaking. It takes our breath away when we realize the scope that it's the one who holds the universe in the power of his word who has done this for us. Let, 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 let me illustrate one more time. Back in 2008, you, you may remember the story that came out of Mumbai, India. At the Taj Mahal Palace, at a hotel located on the premises of the Taj Mahal Palace, there were 
Pakistani terrorists that went through the hotel shooting people at will. When the massacre ended, there were 200 people that died. In the restaurant, every single person died except one. One person was the lone survivor in a room full of more than, more than over 100 and something people were in that room. He was being interviewed by a, a journalist who said, why is it that you survived? What was it about you that, 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 that caused you to, to survive? He says, he says, I don't know. He says, but what happened was we heard gunfire. And when we heard the gunshots, somebody pulled me under the table. Well, why, why weren't you shot and killed? He says, I suppose it was somebody else's blood that covered me that saved me. It was somebody else's blood that was shed that saved you and me. If you're a believer in Christ, it was the blood of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ that was poured out for us, that brought salvation to us. It wasn't we ourselves that did it, but it was according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of this purification that comes through his blood. For by the one offering he has forever made perfect those who are being made holy. I'll close with this. I read, I read the following testimony about a, a father and son who were out swimming in uh, the ocean in Mexico. Their whole family was out on the beach. They had cousins and they had uh, his, his daughters and his wife were out on, on the beach. And they were just enjoying each other's company and, and young young. Daniel was, was uh, caught up in a riptide and Jimmy, the father, saw what was taking place and so he went to rescue his son and he got caught up in this rogue riptide as well and they're now being pulled out way further than they could manage to swim back on their own. They couldn't get the attention. He tried yelling, but the people that were, their family were unsure, they, they didn't notice anything that was going on and they were being pulled out. And pretty soon their, their energy level was, was expended and, and they knew, Jimmy knew that, 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 if, if, you know, that it was going to be soon before both he and his son were, were going were to be lost. I mean, he had this, this horrible thought that his wife and daughters were going to have two funerals to deal with. But then one of the cousins noticed what was, was taking place and he, he had an understanding of the riptides, but he also had an, a knowledge that there was a sandbar in a certain location, in a certain vicinity, not too far from, from where they were. He went out on the sandbar, and there he stood as close to them as possible, and he waved his hands like this, and he shouted to them, come to me, repeatedly, come to me. And the cross is all about Jesus crying, come to me and live. Come to me and be rescued. Come to me will be your only hope of surviving because my blood will cover you. My blood will set you free. My blood will forgive you. Was it Moses? The law came by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It wasn't Joshua. Joshua couldn't bring the people into a permanent rest. But Jesus is able to bring us into a permanent rest. And he offers us this invitation, come unto me. 
and I will give you rest. He that comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. That's the invitation that he gives. So let me ask you this question this morning. Have you come to the one who is greater, to the, to, to the one who is absolutely preeminent, to, to the one who is the supremacy because he is the God-man Christ Jesus. Here's my bottom line this morning. There's none greater, none stronger, none is loving. There is none like Jesus. Sin forever conquered. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the word of the Lord. Your word is rich and your word is good and your word satisfies and your word, oh God, is life to them that find it and health unto all of our flesh. Lord, as I'm praying, I, I don't know the condition of every single person's heart and soul in this place, but, but if, there's, if there's one person that's here this morning and they're, and they're in danger of drowning, they're in danger of perishing, Jesus, would you use that illustration this morning Come to Jesus. Would you do that? Would you, would you give your heart and your life to Christ? You do that by starting a conversation that simply goes something like this. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. It's not magic words. I say this all the time. It's, it's the heart that reaches out to faith and embraces and lays hold. The only thing that is left for you to do is to repent, to believe the gospel, and to, and to lay hold of Jesus by faith. So, Father, I pray today that, that the souls of some, Lord God, would, would, would find their rest in Christ, would find that, Jesus, you are indeed greater, that you are our sufficiency, that you are indeed the one who has the preeminent, the one who is absolutely the supremacy of the Son of God. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name.